Thanks for listening to the Refuel Podcast. Be sure to tune in every Thursday for a new episode. All right, uh, so this is our Christmas series, and nothing says Christmas like ginormous snakes. How many of y'all have a mortal fear of snakes? Is that, are there any, like, non-snake people? Okay, so, so we're going to be talking about fears and Christmas, and I thought there's nothing better than starting with snakes, but this snake is an anaconda. Anacondas are the largest snakes in the world. They're capable of swallowing a 400-pound animal. But anacondas are the largest snakes. They're the most deadly snakes because they could literally, they could swallow a human whole without even thinking about it. So there was this organization, it's still around, but back in the 1960s and 1970s, it was like the hips, this was the hipster thing to do in the 1960s and 1970s, and it was to join a, a group called the Peace Corps. And if you joined the U.S. Peace Corps, what they would do is actually pretty awesome. If you're a college, you had to be a college student or young adult, they would send you to another country to go help out, like, people that needed help. So they would send you to all these different parts of the world, and it was kind of like a mission trip, only you didn't get to talk about Jesus. So, yeah, it's kind of useless. But, um, but a lot of people like to do it and travel the world. So for countries that were in the area where anacondas would be, they actually had trouble with people that would get attacked by anacondas. So the Peace Corps released a step-by-step manual on how to survive an anaconda attack. So I want to read this manual. This, this, it's, it's a 10-step process to survive an anaconda attack, okay? So here, number one, if you're attacked by an anaconda, do not run. The snake is faster than you are. Now, if it were me and you and an anaconda, I wouldn't have to worry because as long as I could outrun you, it don't matter how fast the anaconda can go. But <laughs> I can go pretty fast, Ryan. We'll race, we'll race after the service. They can faster than you. So this is the U.S. Peace Corps manual, okay? So number one, if you're attacked by an anaconda, do not run. The snake is faster than you are. Number two, lie flat on the ground. Put your arms tight against your side, your legs tight against one another. Number three, tuck your chin in. Number four, number three, tuck your chin in. Number four, the snake will come and begin to nudge and climb over your body. Number five, number five, do not panic. (laughs) Number six, after the snake has examined you, it will begin to swallow you from the feet and always from the end. Permit the snake to swallow your feet and ankles. Do not panic. Number seven, the snake will now begin to suck your legs into its body. You must lie perfectly still. This takes a long time. Number five, when the snake has reached your knees, slowly and with as little movement as possible, reach down, take your knife, and very gently slide it into the side of the snake's mouth between the edge of its mouth and your leg, then suddenly rip upwards, severing the snake's head. Number nine, Chase, number nine, be sure you have your knife. Number 10, be sure your knife is sharp. So those would be the 10 steps of surviving an anaconda attack. But here's the question I want to ask you. Here's the question I want to ask you. If you were in the Peace Corps and an anaconda came, an anaconda came sliver, slithering your way, and you 
lay down with your legs together and your arms tucked to your side and your chin down, and that snake began to start nudging you (laughs) and caressing your body. (laughs) How many of you would be scared? Even though you're following the manual, you're scared, right? Even though... Even though you're doing exactly what the U.S. government is telling you to do, you'd be afraid. But here's the question I want to ask you. You're doing the right thing. If you're doing the right thing and you're doing what you're supposed to do, why are you afraid? What if I mess up? (laughs) What if I forgot my knife? What if my knife is not sharp? Yeah, so you don't, you don't trust yourself? Maybe just the sheer size of the snake and the fact that your feet are inside a snake's mouth. Okay? How many of y'all, this is making you entirely uncomfortable? Well, that's a good question. And they don't... <laughs> they, don't they don't tell you what to do about that. So... So you don't think you'd be scared if you were halfway inside the mouth of an anaconda. <laughs> but most of us, I think, most of us will be scared. And we're scared a couple, because of a couple of things. Some of you said it, we're afraid that we're not going to be able to do it right. Like we don't have what it takes to sever that snake's head. <laughs> Some of us are, I think I'd be afraid of just the sheer size of the snake, the fact that I'm touching the snake, the word snake. <laughs> so... So even though you're doing, here's kind of what I want you to think about. Even though you're doing exactly what you've been told to do, and even though you're doing exactly what is right to do, you're still scared. You go to the next slide, Jeff. Um, see, is that better? No more snakes. Um, some of you, some of you, life is the anaconda. The Bible is the U.S. Peace Corps manual. And you've been doing everything according to the manual. And yet you're still scared to death. You're still overwhelmed by what's going on in your life. And you think, why am I so scared? Because I'm doing everything the Bible tells me to do. I'm living a life that's, I think, right, pleasing to God. I'm trying to do the right thing. But yet I'm still freaked out by what's going on around me. I feel like God's given me more than he can handle. And isn't there a verse in the Bible that says God's not going to give you more than you can handle? So I'm scared about that. And we live in fear. So our series this Christmas is The Nightmare Before Christmas. Because maybe you haven't read this in the Bible. How many of y'all have seen The Nightmare Before Christmas? It's one of my favorite, like, you know, Christmas slash scary movies, like, because it's weird. I like weird things. But The Nightmare Before Christmas, we're going to look at there are four of them, actually, but we're going to look at three of them. In the Christmas story, you know, the, the story that, you know, Grandpa gets in his rocking chair and reads by the fire before Christmas Eve in the perfect Hallmark movie family, which none of us have. Um, in, in the Christmas story, there are four times where an angel tells somebody to fear not or to do not be afraid because they were afraid. 
So for some of you, your life, your Christmas looks less like a Hallmark movie and more like Jack and Sally and the Nightmare Before Christmas. So how do we handle our fears? What does God want us to do with our fears? What does the Christmas story say about our fears? So that's what we're going to look at. And tonight, maybe you're like, the, you're, like, you're like the person being swallowed by the snake of life, and you're like, I've done everything according to the Bible. Like, I actually listen during the lesson time at youth group, and I try to do what it says, and I'm still scared out of my mind. I'm still overwhelmed by life. And the first thing we're going to look at is what happens, how to not be afraid, how to be courageous when it feels like life has overwhelmed you. So if you have your Bible, turn to Luke chapter 1, and we're going to read about the story of Mary. And to give you a little background on what's going on here before, we're gonna, if you don't have your Bible, you know, the words are on the screen. If you want to look at it for yourself, you can download the Bible app. It's by Version in the App Store, and we're reading from the NIV. And just look up Luke chapter 1. What's going on here is we're going we're gonna to press the rewind button, which you guys don't know. How many of y'all, does anybody still have VHS tapes? Any of y'all still like old school stuff? Like, you, know, you would rewind it, and you could watch it rewinding, and it would go... The whole time it was rewinding. So we're going to rewind the story a little bit, okay? And we're going to go back to the first man and the first woman, Adam and Eve. They sinned against God. They turned away from God. They chose to go their own way. And you know what their own way, the consequences of their own way led them to? It led them to death. It led them to separation from God. And ever since then, we've been separated from God. Ever since then, death has reigned on the earth. And they've always been humanity had always been looking forward because what God promised, he said, one day I'm going to send someone to fix it. One day I'm going to send someone to set the world straight, to restore this relationship between God and humans, and, and, and to give eternal life. So ever since the beginning of time, and the first man and the first woman, people had always been looking forward to some point in the future when God would send somebody. They called him the Messiah, the person they were looking forward to, that God would send Messiah to make things right. So fast forward a couple thousand years from the original promise, and the year is 6 B.C. So you know how you go B.C., 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 and then it was A.D., you know, so 6 B.C. So that would be 2,022 years ago from today. So 6 B.C., because it was 6, then it was 5, then it was 4, then it was 3, then it was 2, then it was 1, then it was 0, then it was 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, and now we're in 2016. So 2016 plus six years is what? 2022. So it was 2022 years ago. There's a woman that lived in the Middle East in Israel, and her name was Mary. She really, we wouldn't call her woman. We call her girl uh, because she was probably between the age of 12 and 16. And she was just living, doing whatever a teenage girl would do at that time, watching the new Gilmore Girls episodes or something. I don't know. Uh, <laughs> getting a, uh, yeah, a grande vanilla bean frappuccino at, at Israeli Starbucks. Um, <laughs> so they don't call it Starbucks in Israel. They call it Hebrews. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Uh, <laughs> that's really bad. I know. <laughs> that was really bad. Okay. So, but you have Mary, and here's what happens to Mary. So let's read through it. It's, I'm done with the Matt McClay joke hour. Let's, let's read through it. Luke chapter 1, verse 26, it says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. 
Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, and here's our big word, here's our big phrase, do not be afraid, Mary. You found favor with God. You'll conceive and give birth to a son, and you'll call him Jesus. He'll be great and will be son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One, will be bo- will be bo- the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. She who is said to be unable to conceive is in her six months. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. So, a lot happens here, but do you kind of understand what happens? Mary is visited by an angel. The angel freaks Mary out, because if you were visited by an angel, you would be highly freaked out too. And the angel says, don't be afraid. (laughs) Don't go all crazy on me, okay? Don't go postal. I've got news, Mary. You're pregnant. And Mary's like, listen, mom and dad had the birds and the bees talk with me. I know how babies are made, and I can tell you for sure I am not pregnant. Because there has never been anything that I've done or that's happened to me that could cause me to become pregnant. And the angel says, well, this is kind of different. Yeah, your, your parents didn't talk about this in their little talk with you. God made you miraculously become pregnant. And inside you right now is God's son. You're going to give birth to this baby. You're going to name him Jesus, and he's going to be that Messiah. You know, that, the, the people, your parents, the, that guy your parents have told you about that for thousands of years has been promised it's going to set the world right? Yeah, you're going to be his mom. And I want you to call his name Jesus. And Mary said, now, how can this happen? How can this be? And the angel says, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come on you. you know, the power of the Most High is going to overshadow you, and you will become, you'll become pregnant. So this is highly unusual. If there was any reason not to be a Christian, <laughs> I kind of feel weird saying this, if there's any reason not to be a Christian, this would be it. You know, sometimes people don't become Christians, you know, they, don't want to be, they don't want to be considered a Christian because they've had a bad experience with another Christian. That would be like saying, because I've gone to a barber one time and had a bad haircut, I'm never going to a barber again. And you turn into like, you know, this long-haired you know, person. <laughs> you need to go to a barber. Just because you have, you've met a bad barber, you go to another barber that's good. So just because you've had a bad experience with a Christian doesn't mean you shouldn't be a Christian. If you, if you, don't, if you want a reason not to become a Christian, this is what something Christians believe that is very controversial. But we believe it with all our hearts. We believe that Jesus was the Son of God. And that's what happens here. So a couple things, what I like to do is I like to point out a couple things from what we've read that we can learn. And the first is, this is maybe my favorite of the five that we're looking at, is God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. I want you to look, if, you're, if you have your Bible, in verse 26 and verse 27. It tells you a little bit about Mary. You can go to the next slide, Jed. It tells you a little about Mary and who God, actually you can go one more, um, and who God used. Mary was a teenager. One more slide, Jed, please. Uh, Mary was a teenager. If you look at it, it says, Mary was a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. I put a picture of some of our guys up there because our guys, I'm not calling you necessarily ordinary. I think you're pretty cool. But um, they went on Monday. They visited some people in the hospitals and prayed with them. God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Um, Mary was an ordinary teenager. 
you ever have to tell people you live in Huntington, and they're like, where's that? And you're like, have you seen the Marshall movie? And they're like, oh, yeah, I think I kind of remember that movie. And you're like, yeah, that's where I live. People don't know where Huntington is, do they? Some people don't even know where West Virginia is. You ever talk to somebody, and they're like, where are you from? I'm like, I'm from West Virginia. And they're like, oh, yeah, I got a cousin in Richmond. And I'm like, no, nah. <laughs> no. <laughs> so, so we kind of know what it's like to be, live in an area that's overlooked. Mary lived in an area that was overlooked. If you, if you read this, it says, Mary, uh, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee. Okay, so Galilee was kind of like the province or the state. Nazareth was the town. So think about Galilee, West Virginia. Nazareth, Huntington. Okay? It was even said, there's, it's recorded in the Bible that people would say, what good has ever come out of Nazareth? You know, imagine somebody saying, what good has ever come out of Huntington? And we're like, Randy Moss. <laughs> we got Randy, you know. What good has ever come out of Huntington? And he actually grew up in DuPont. But um, so, so he uses Mary who lived in, a, in an area that nobody, no, nobody good ever came from Nazareth. And also, Mary has said Mary was pledged to be married to a man. Now, all you ladies should be thankful you don't live in first century Palestine because here's how it would work back then. At the ripe old age of like three or four, your parents will get together with some three or four-year-old dude's parents and be like, hey, we think our daughter should marry your son. They, like, spit on their hands, shake hands, and a couple of farm animals are exchanged, and, uh, <laughs> and your fate is set. By the time you get to be 12 years old, and he gets to be 12 years old, you, are, you have an official betrothment where her parents get up here, your parents get up here, his parents get up here, and they announce the whole, the whole city, the whole town, you know, um, you know, you know, Joe is pledged to be married to Josephine. You know, and, um, and, and now the whole town knows it. And then there's a, a period of time after the, it's been made public at 12 years old, a couple of years, where they start to somewhat get to know each other, but really don't get to know each other, but it's been made public. And then by the age of 15 or 16, the marriage happens. So Mary, Mary had been, was pledged to be married to Joseph. So it was sometime between, roughly between the age of, six, of 12 and 16. So pretty much every girl in here, Mary was probably right about your age. She was right about your age. Think about that. God didn't pick, you know, God didn't pick some old lady that had raised 50 bajillion kids to raise the Son of God. God could have picked Mary Poppins to raise the Son of God, but He picked a teen mom who wasn't married to raise the Son of God. Think about that. Mary's like, you know, you know, how did she, what did she know about raising a kid? So here's, here's the bottom line for this one. If you consider yourself ordinary, you know, like me, you know, I was like the C slash B student. Well, I wasn't non-athletic, but I wasn't the most athletic. You know, I didn't have the fastest car, but I didn't have the slowest car. You know, if you consider yourself average, guess what? You're a prime candidate for God to do amazing things through you if you follow him. So God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. Um, the second thing, <laughs> this one's just kind of very simple. Angels are intimidating, okay? When you think an angel visits Mary, you think of something that you would be excited if an angel visited you. When you think of, this is what we think of when we think of angels. Sometimes we even think of a halo, but we think of this little, like, naked baby with wings and maybe one of these, like, Cupid arrows with hearts, you know, and, and we think of angels are this, these cute, compassionate effeminate beings. But if you were to compare our, like your idea of an angel to what we see angels in the Bible, angels 
are fearsome. Angels are warriors. Angels are messengers of God. And usually the first reaction of people to when they would see an angel that was carrying a word from the Lord, it wasn't, oh, that cute little angel with that cute little halo. It was fear. Angels are intimidating. So guys, never call your girlfriend an angel. Okay, because what you're calling your girlfriend is you're a masculine dude. <laughs> so, so don't call your girlfriend an angel. Girls, if, you're, if your boyfriend calls you an angel, just backhand him, okay? Just do that one for me. Say, Matt told me to do this, okay? So, so yeah. Um, so, guys, if I were to call you an angel, you should take that as a compliment, right? Like, Evan, you're an angel. <laughs> okay? But we, so we got we to gotta change our mind because what we, when we think of angels, we think of cute. Angels equal fearsome. Angels equal messengers from God who represent the glory of God and represent the word of God to humans. So Mary saw this angel. She was intimidated. So we can move to the next point here, okay? The unknown doesn't have to be scary, okay? Any, any Monsters, Inc., Monsters University fans in here tonight, okay? Uh, the unknown doesn't have to be scary. All these monsters that were afraid of kids, you know, how that, you know they were afraid of kids, and it turns out they didn't have to be afraid of kids because the kids' giggles um, could, could provide more power for their little monster community than all the screams in the world, right? But they were afraid because it was unknown. We're afraid of the unknown. And think about Mary. Cupid didn't appear to Mary. Gabriel, an angel of the Lord, appealed, appeared to Mary. Think about this. Some of you girls that are 16 years old, you, could, you can think about this. Just be doing your 16-year-old girl thing. You know, like I was talking about, watching Gilmore Girls, sipping Starbucks, doing whatever you girls do, and all of a sudden, the TV flickers, and an angel of the Lord appears, and you're like, <laughs> what if I was talking, and all of a sudden, a secret service agent came over, I was like, I need to have a word with you, the president needs to talk to you, it's a matter of national security. You know, you'd be like, oh, no, what website did I visit? You know, you know what stupid thing did I say? You know, you, you're sca- Imagine a representative of God says, hey, I've got to talk to you, and says, greetings, you're highly favored, the Lord is with you. If you look at verse 9, it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting it may be. Why does God want to talk to me, a 16-year-old girl? She was in a small town, but the angel says this to her. Don't be afraid because you He says this twice. If you look at it in verse 28, it says, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. And then when Mary kind of gets scared, gets intimidated, he says in verse 30, Do not be afraid, Mary. You've found favor with God. You know, when you've found favor with God, what else is there to be afraid of? When the most powerful, fearsome, perfect being in the world, you found favor with him, why are you afraid if you found favor with this person or that person at your school? Why are you afraid of the circumstances that are surrounding your life when the Almighty is protecting you? So Mary found favor with God. Mary found favor with God, and this is what's interesting, is the more that you know God, just like Mary found favor with God, the more you know God, the less fear you have in your life. Um, it's been said, and you know, Ainsley's dance was beautiful, and I'm not going to try to dance. <laughs> but you know, some of you, like you could stand on one foot for a long period of time. I am not that agile, you know, but when you stand like this, and when I hunt, like, I try to take my steps very carefully so I don't make loud noises and scare deer, but sometimes I'll end up, like, I'll bring my foot up, and then I'll see a stick, so I'll be like, I can't step on that stick, so I'm trying to find somewhere to put my foot, 
And when we're overwhelmed by our circumstances, it's like we have a poised foot. It's like we have a foot in the air and our foot, see, I can't even stand for a very long period of time. Our foot can go one of two directions when we're overwhelmed. It can go backwards spiritually or that foot can go forward spiritually into the unknown that God has for us, but we're intimidated. The unknown doesn't have to be scary. When you found favor with God, when your relationship with God is right, there's nothing to be afraid of. There's nothing to be afraid of. Let's go to the next one, number four. Uh, Jed, thank you for stepping in on the screens here. Jed is, is doing a good job. Um, God, and God this, is, this is something we think we is in the Bible, but it's not in the Bible. One of the things I love to do when we talk about things, like we talk about questions, in the, questions about God and stuff, you know what I'm going to say, right? You know the question I'm going to ask you. What's the question I'm going to ask you? Or don't you know? If you ask me a question about God, what am I going to say? I'm going to say, what does the Bible say about that? You may have heard this saying, and you think it's in the Bible, but it's not in the Bible. And you think it's in the Bible, I dare you to show me where it is in the Bible. Have you heard the saying, God won't give you more than you can handle? Show me a chapter and a verse. Because if you look through the Bible, what you will find is that God can, and you got a verse, Chase? You want to quote that for me? Okay. So while Chase is looking up this verse, um, I'm going to keep talking. (laughs) God will give you more than you can handle. God made David face Goliath. How is how's a five foot tall boy going to face a ten foot tall giant? That's more than David can handle. God gave. Let's let's hear the verse. So what's he talking about? Temptation. Was Mary tempted? She was, given a, she was given a task, wasn't she? She was given a job. She was given a job. And, and this, this is a great verse, Chase. I'm not, I'm not trying to dog you. This is a good verse. And what, what, what you're talking about is temptation. What he's saying is, does it say you will make a way of escape? What, who, who makes the way of escape? Jesus. So God may give you more than you can handle, but he will give you a way out. He will give you a way of escape, and he will supply you. And this is what he did with Mary. He gave Mary something more than she could handle. Remember, we said, why didn't God choose Mary Poppins to be the mother of, of, of the Son of God? What, what, Mary had never even thought about what kind of diapers to buy. She never thought about what pediatrician do I take the Son of God to. You know, Think about every decision Mary had to make as the mother of God, the mother of the Son of God. Like, you don't want to mess this one up, do you? You, know, you, you, don't want, you don't want to be the one that puts the Son of God in the car seat the wrong way. Like, like you, that, talk about pressure. God gave Mary, a teen mom, way more than she can handle. Why do you think God chose Mary? I'm asking you. Why do you think God chose Mary? He knew she could do it. He knew he would give her the ability to do it, and she relied on him. He, she could be trusted, Avery. Oh, man, Avery with the dropping the gospel bomb on us, huh? So God uses ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And, here, um, and as I was looking at this, sometimes I feel unqualified to do the jobs that God's called me to do. It was, it was you know, five or six years ago that, that God called me to be a youth pastor, and I always hate talking in front of people. 
and it's not something that I can do. God gave me more than, he can, than I can handle, but it wasn't more than he can handle. So God, you think you're unqualified. You know, you look at other people and you're like, you know, I can't sing, I can't dance, I can't talk. All I can do is play games on my phone. <laughs> That's the only thing I'm good at, you know. <laughs> What's God going to do with me? I'm unqualified. And then all of a sudden, God brings people into your life that are a hot mess. And you're like, how am I supposed to help this person when I can't even help myself? You know, how am I supposed to go take care of others when I can't even take care of myself? God gives you more than you can handle. But how did Mary do? Did she do okay? Did she do all right? She did, didn't she? Was it all about her? It was all about God supplying her. So the people that God put in your life that are a hot mess that you think there is no way I can help them, you are exactly right. There is no way you can help them. But you've got a God who can do exceedingly above all you can ask or think and who can change their life if you just point your friend to that person. And you just let God use you. God can give you more than you can handle because that's when you get to the point where it's more than you can handle, that's when God steps in and starts working in your life. So God can give you more than you can handle. And here's the final thing. There's no room for fear at the, at the foot of the cross. Mary, this, Mary had every reason to be afraid. And when she starts out, what does she do? She is afraid. It says Mary was greatly troubled at his words. But then if you push the fast forward button, you go to verses 46 through 55. Mary starts singing a worship song to God. She writes a poem about how great God is and how much she loves him and how glorious he is. How does Mary go from scared to praising God? How does she turn that around? It's because she learns about Jesus. And even though Jesus hadn't even been born, she'd never met him. Even though he was just in like a zygote in her stomach at this point. He was already changing her life. Read what the angel says to her in verse 31. You will give birth to a son and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever, and his kingdom will never end. He says, the son that you're going to give birth to is the Messiah. He's the one that you've been waiting for to save you. You know, Mary was going to be a teen mom, and you know, how do you explain that to your fiancé? Hey, I'm pregnant, but God got me pregnant. <laughs> you know, he's like, I've heard that one before, you know. But how, how do you explain that to your fiancé? How do you stop your fiancé from doing the very thing that was legal at that time? If you were, at that time, if you were engaged to someone and they slept around on you, you could have them stoned. And I'm not talking about, like, the herb. You could have them put to death. You could have, you could have them put to death. So Mary was pregnant, and she knew the sentence for what appeared that she had done was death. Isn't that a foreshadowing of, of all of us? We have all turned away from God, and, and the Bible says the penalty for our sin, the consequence of our sin, is death. So just like Mary was fear, could have been full of fear because of physical death, because they would have thought she would have broken the law, we are all destined for eternal death, but yet Jesus changes the equation. Jesus changes the equation. And Mary got that. Mary got that. And when she learned that the person inside her was going to be the Messiah, the one that she was waiting for, the one who would die on a cross, hang on a cross and pay for her sin, pay for my sin, and pay for your sin, all of a sudden the fear just melted away. 
Because if your eternal salvation is secure, what else is there to fear? There's no room for fear at the foot of the cross. So what do we do about this? What do we do about this? There are three things that we can do about this, and they're all right here. Um, They're all right here. And the first thing is rest on the promises of God. You look at verse 7. This is one of the coolest verses of the whole thing. You know, this angel's making this promise to Mary. You know, you're going to have a baby. The baby's going to be the Messiah. He's going to be the, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to be involved in this. The Father's going to be involved in this. He's going to be called the Son of God. So there's the Trinity. He says in verse 37, for no word from God will ever fail. You want a book that will totally, you want to read words that will totally wreck your life in a good way, read the words in this book because no word, no word of God Will ever fail. In some of your versions, it may say with God, nothing is impossible, but if you were to actually, if you were actually to look it up in the original Greek that it was translated from, it uses a word called anateo, which means word. It means, um, it, it means that which has been uttered in a living voice. So the thing that God uttered in his living voice will never fail. His words will never fail. So we, the way we expel fear from our life when we're being swallowed by the anaconda of life is that we rest. Wow, that's rain is we rest on the promises of God. What are some awesome promises from God? There's the promise that he'll never leave us or forsake us. There's the promise that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. There's the promise by Jesus that he's overcome the world. There's the promise by Jesus that one day, even though we suffer in this life, that he's going to wipe away every tear from our eye and we're going to live in heaven where there's no more sorrow and there's no more death and all of the terrible, painful things of this earth will have passed away and be gone. When we rest on the promises of God, the more of this book you put into your life, the more fear will leave your life. So you rest on the promises of God. Um, the next thing that we do is we obey even when it's hard. Look at this. Look, look at what Mary did. You know, verse 37, no word from God will ever fail. What does Mary say? She says, I'm the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Mary could have asked a bajillion more questions. She could have stood there paralyzed in fear but because she realized the promise of Jesus and the trustworthiness of God's word. You know what she did? Even though she didn't know how her fiancé Joseph was going to react when he found out she was pregnant, she obeyed God. Even though she didn't know what her parents would think when she told her parents, hey, Mom, Dad, I'm pregnant, she obeyed. Mary obeyed. We obey even when it's hard. What would have happened if Mary wouldn't have obeyed? What if Mary would have had an abortion? Where would we be right now? Yeah, we'd have no hope, would we? So obey even when it's hard. And the final thing is worship God daily. I wish we could spend like hours breaking down. Don't worry, we're not. But we could spend hours breaking this song by Mary down starting in verse 46. But I just want to read it for you. That's the next slide, Jed, by the way. Read what Mary says after she, start, after she has the opportunity to take this all in. What does she say? Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him. From generation to generation, he's promised me mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down the rulers from their thrones and lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but sent the rich away empty. He's helped to serve in Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary realized what God was doing in her life. And even though it hadn't all played out yet, even though she didn't get to see Jesus resurrected from the dead for another 33 years, she rested and she had peace 
And she was courageous in knowing that God was at work in her life. That was good enough for her was the promise of God. So the question for you is, is the promise of God good enough for you? So let's pray. And we're going to go downstairs and have some tag and, and, and talk about our backpack kids. Father, we don't deserve for you to use us. We don't even deserve for you to, to come down and, and save us, but you did. You offer it to all of us. You offer that salvation. You offer new life. Father, thank you for that. Thank you that you use ordinary West Virginians, that you use teenagers, that you use C and B students, that you use people who aren't necessarily talented in a particular thing, but who love you and are willing to be used by you. So I pray that no matter who we are and no matter what we have to, to offer God, that we'll put it all on the table, or that we'll be willing to be used by you. And, and, and God, there are things that surround us. There are things that are going on in our life, even though we're trying to live for you, that scare us. But God, I pray that we'll rest on your promises, and that the more we rest on your promises, the more peace we'll have in our lives, that we won't live in a prison cell of fear. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to the Refuel podcast. If you have any questions or would like to review the notes from this podcast, be sure to download the Refuel app from the App Store on any mobile device.